Hello and welcome to Your Employment Matters. I'm Beverly Williams and I'm here to help you navigate your career. This is for anyone who's searching for their dream job or promotion, or perhaps you're just looking to hang on to the job you have. Today's work environments are multi-generational, multi-religious, multinational, multiracial, and multi-gender and multi-gender identity. Add market disruptors like Amazon and Lyft, along with the addition of AI, and it's easy to see why finding and keeping a job is such a challenge. Employment success and even employment survival depend on your ability to adapt. That's why my goal for this 30-minute podcast is to first advocate embracing change and differences, and second, to encourage you to proactively assume responsibility for your career. Get your work week off to a good start by listening to Your Employment Matters every Monday. Find out how to own your career and get the best practices for making your employment matter. In previous podcasts, we've addressed some of the challenges employers, human resources, professionals, deal with in a COVID-19 working remotely environment. These employees are tasked with providing services and support around routine and even sensitive matters without necessarily discussing these matters with employees face-to-face. If employees don't have access to virtual video platforms, there is no face-to-face interaction. They either resort to online audio, telephone, or web conferencing platforms without without video. Everyone doesn't have access to everything that's needed. Now, another type of HR professional, like my guest today, provides a myriad of services to support and supplement an employer's HR function. Michelle Lopez. She serves as an HR consultant who specializes in training and development. She is a former management employment lawyer and seasoned HR executive who has developed a unique, not only unique, an innovative approach to managing multiple facets of organized workplace challenges. Michelle worked in the media, entertainment, and sports industries. She's also served as an on-air legal analyst on multiple high-profile legal matters. Michelle earned a JD from the University of Wisconsin-Madison and a BS in criminal justice from the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. I am privileged to call her friend. Welcome, Michelle. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Beverly. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you. I'm glad that we were able to work this out. I know that HR people are very busy in this COVID environment. I mean, seriously, I've tried to get other specialties, HR specialists on my podcast so that people can get a sense of what's out there, what they can do, what they need to do. And you HR people are really busy. Yes, that's an understatement. Uh, We are busy and Uh, Given the fact that most of us are now working virtually and remotely, the access to our time 
seems to be unlimited, meaning it's no longer nine to five, right? Not that it ever was, but now the lines and hours get blurred. Um, Our days get longer. So yes, I can understand that my HR colleagues in this space are probably very difficult to try to pin down uh, to give an interview like this. So I'm actually very happy that I found the time and I'm really looking forward to chatting with you. Now, one of the things I think job seekers should know is that situations are handled differently in different areas of the world and different areas of the country. You've lived in, in, in different cities and states in the United States. Tell us about the areas you've lived in and worked in and, and how you found them different. Well, I've actually worked and I don't want to say lived, but definitely worked on both coasts. So from New York and lived in New York and spent time working there, spent a, um, a great deal of time working in the West Coast, specifically California. I've done some work in Seattle, spent some time, of course, in Wisconsin, my home base. Uh, so a little bit of Midwest uh, work, Chicago. And now I am in Georgia, have done work in Florida. I'm actually just trying to go through my geographical Rolodex in my head in terms of where different places I've worked. So I have, you're, you're right, I've been in, in many different places, not as much time spent in the South per se, although I've done some work. And what I will say, what I've noticed in terms of a difference in any of those areas really for me focuses on work-life balance. I think that when uh, both East Coast, of course, I think is the most challenging in terms of uh, recognizing the need for it from a health standpoint for employees, mental health, um, from a pro- uh, you know production standpoint, our productivity and performance standpoint, there really wasn't any in New York. That was one of the things I've noticed. Uh, I noticed in in working in New York and supporting clients um, on the East Coast, as opposed to let's say California, which I think had a very healthy approach to work life balance. Um, definitely, would see that um, in the South also, um, where people have hours that they. It set hours for work, set hours for lunch, um, set hours for going home. And there really wasn't that blurring of lines that happened um, in areas outside of New York. But I think what would surprise most people, given the various areas I've lived, is that there were more similarities than in, in terms of culture, in terms of the way employees interacted with each other um, in the various regions that I've worked in, than there were differences. Um, which, uh, you know, you, you would think that working in uh, Florida would be vastly different than, let's say, a work experience in Wisconsin or New York, vastly different from a work experience in San Francisco. And um, it just it wasn't. Um, I think that, of course, there are certain you know regional customs um, that uh, would separate and, and make these um uh, work environments different on the on the surface. So when you're just looking at the surface, um, it would seem to be different. Uh, but when you really got down to it, uh, they're really uh, the the what you didn't see the difference. It was very much um, employees cared about the same issues. 
um, in New York that they did in Florida. It was, you know, promotional opportunities. It was connecting with employers. It was having a rewarding um, a relationship with your manager, your supervisor. It was working for a company that you could believe in, um, that you felt supported. Um, it was about your well-being. So all of those themes, um, pretty consistent, um, irrespective of what region um, I happen to be working in. I know. I remember uh, once I had a legal issue. Uh, I was based in New Jersey working for a company and the issue was in one of our offices in in the South. And, you know, being a a New York lawyer for part of my life, you know, I sent off a strongly worded (laughs) letter on, you know, on on letterhead, you know, saying, well, you know, why are you doing this? And, and, and we'll, we'll do that. And uh, one of our local people called me up and said, you know, we don't do things like that here. This is not the way we handle this. And, uh, you know, I was open to, to her, her input because obviously she knew more about how business was transacted in her area than I knew. Mm-hmm. Uh, being from the North most of my life, although I spent some time in North Carolina when I went to graduate school, I definitely deferred to her guidance. And um, in fact, I even flew to uh, meet the people because it was a federal agency. And, uh, you know, I sat down and had a long talk with them. They were impressed that I flew in from uh from 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 New Jersey, and you know we had a very uh, polite and civilized discussion, and uh, reached common ground. And uh, you know I flew back home, and um, I established a relationship with that agency that benefited my company. But if I had not had the guidance from a local person, that could have turned really bad. It. And I could understand that, and 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 I think that that um, illustrates how, on the surface, I think our customs, depending on what region we are in, um, may appear to be different. But when you dig and you unpack it a little bit and you dig a little bit deeper, the themes that are the same, uh, the themes are the same. So respect, um, um, uh, speaking to one another in. Um, in a language that both the both sides can understand, right? Um, the way that people are approached, that common, um, the common link, like trying to find that common identifier so that you have this connection. Those are the themes that pretty much stay the same. And I'll share with you an experience I had, uh, which kind of illustrates this, but in the reverse, right? So here I am, I'm coming from Wisconsin. I'm this, you know, Lawyer, been out of law school, practicing in Wisconsin for what, three years, four years before I come to the big city, New York, right? I I grew up in Wisconsin, went to law school, undergrad law school in Wisconsin, and I have my first court appearance in New York. And I'm taking um, the place of a partner um, who could not um, appear in this case. And it was just a motion hearing. It was about um, whether or not um, uh, the opposing opposing side was actually claiming that I had not timely served uh, the paperwork, right? The, uh, served them with the paperwork. And so we were 
um, actually before a judge who's very well known on civil procedure, Jack Weinstein, right? Judge Weinstein in New York. So anyone who's practiced law um, certainly probably used his civil procedure book um, in, in, in law school. And I had timely served the papers. The papers were due by midnight. Um, and I served it, I think maybe it was 11.58, maybe 56, <laughs> but I got it in there on time. Um, Yep. And I, it was postmarked, right, by a certain, and, and now the firm was across, the opposing counsel's firm was across the street. Um, but nothing told me, nothing in the rules indicated it had to be hand delivered. I could certainly put it in the mailbox, which I was able to do and have it postmarked by a certain time. Um, so it was on time. And I'll never forget, um, what the judge did. The judge made us, he came down from the bench. He said, come on, full tables close. Um, and chairs closer. So we sat like in a semicircle in his courtroom um, and he's sitting in front of us and he asked me, um, I see that you're not from New York. Where, where are you from? And I said, I'm, I'm from Wisconsin. And he said, oh, he's like, I actually thought that people were a little bit more cordial and approachable coming from the Midwest. He's like, out here in New York, we actually like to talk to each other. You know, if my call, if my opposing counsel is across the street, um, I would say, just go over, serve the papers. Sit down and have some coffee. Get to know each other, even though you're on opposing sides. And Beverly, my eyes were like, I, I looked around the courtroom. Like, is am I getting schooled on on how on on approaching uh, and and how to interact with people from a New Yorker? I'm coming from Wisconsin, right? This is the land of apple pie, and you know, do we don't lock our doors? This Midwestern values being telling me, and he has every right to. He's the judge. But schooling me on, you know what? Let's just let's be cordial. Let's be nice. We're human beings. We don't have to be this at in this adversarial posture all the time. And so, you know, it was a lesson for me that when you when you kind of unpack the exterior, even on a tough New Yorker, um, and New Yorkers, uh, the the lawyers are are no matter where you are, you have a tough exterior. But definitely in New York, when you unpack all of that, at the end of the day, you know, it really is about, it's about respect, right? Mutual respect, about a connection, um, about focusing on let's just get the work done, but creating the kind of work environment that makes it comfortable for us to do even the hard work that and challenging work that we do when we're practicing law. So long story, but um, just an illustration of um, at the end of the day, I think our values um, and what, what connects us all as employees doesn't really differ um, um, depending on what region you're in. I think, we're, I think it's about the similarities more than it is the differences. I think there, there's basic rules of um, um, etiquette, uh, civility, um, you know, just not adopting uh, an adversarial posture. It's always the best way, at least to start out with. Now, if they don't receive it the way you send it, then you adapt accordingly. Yes, yes. And I, I, always, I, you know, I just, it was just a, you know, why are they, when I, in my situation, it was like, why are they doing this? Oh, well, I'm not putting up with that. Yeah. You know, that's ju- that was just the, re- but in the end, it turned out to be a very re- rewarding relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It can. And it's becoming familiar with those customs. I think that that's definitely important. Understanding the customs of the region where we're work, where you, where you're working and um, being open to 
how fast things move, how slow things move, how people approach each other. Sometimes people in certain regions like niceties in the morning, good morning, checking in on family, whereas others, uh, depending on the work environment, depending on the region that you're in, may not, right? So it's certainly understanding and, and, and becoming familiar with that. But I think that we are similar in many ways um, in work environments um, than we are different. I think, though, there's a slower pace in other regions of the country. New York is more tends to be, at least when I was working in New York, it was, it's more frenetic. Yes. Yes. In elsewhere, in the South, in the Midwest, I haven't really worked on the West Coast, but it's a slower pace. It's not hurry up and get this done. It's like, okay, we're going to get this done and, and we're going to do it, and but we're going to do it you know, not frenetically, but it's going to get done. And I think that makes a difference too. Coming from the East Coast and and just doing things more slowly puts you in a different frame of mind. Yes. So it may be that people who live on on the Northeast corridor would do well in the South if they're in the Midwest if they're looking for a slower pace. Absolutely. That and for me, I the the way that I look at that is custom, um, because I had to become accustomed to that coming from Wisconsin, moving to New York, and understanding that it is um, if you are not um, an individual that thrives in environments that are frenetic, that can be chaotic can be, and that's even before you even walk into your workplace. So that's just even commuting to work, right? In New York or in the, the, the Northeast right. region, right? So if, if, that, if those are the things that make you less comfortable in terms of creating the kind of work environment where you feel you can thrive, those are the customs that you need to look at to see, is this really the place for you to work? And of course, this is all pre-pandemic. I think a lot of that, actually, I'm going to take a step back. Some of that has changed. Virtually, um, even though the pace may have slowed a bit for the way New Yorkers may travel, um, the way those on the East Coast, the Northeast region may travel has obviously slowed a bit. The level of work and the amount of work that gets done in a day, I've seen through my clients that I'm supporting on the uh, in a virtual world, you still say, see those kind of customs play out. My West Coast clients very much, nine to five. My East Coast, Northeast Coast clients, it's kind of blurred. <laughs> it can be 7 a.m., could be 8 p.m., right? It, it um, very much mimics um, the way they operated um, uh, during the pandemic, even though they are uh, pre-pandemic before they were working, when they were working in the office, commuting into the office, you do see that kind of replicating, those kind of customs replicating themselves in these in these virtual worlds. Well, you know, they would not want anything to change. You know, there should be no downtime, no decrease in productivity. Yeah, yes, you, that is very true. No pandemic, you know, you got to get the job done, you got to get the work done, and you got to stay on task, at least on, on the right coast, until it gets done, if it takes all night. Yes, yes. We've had some, we've had some of those. Yes, that absolutely. That I, and I do see those dynamics still playing out. Uh, those customs still playing out. I think it's a little bit more challenging to be as productive. Um, even for those New Yorkers or those on the Northeast region who are used to it in this virtual setting. That that I see as 
it is it is um, it's much more difficult to maintain and sustain that level of productivity um, when you are operating in a virtual setting in a virtual you're working from home working remotely um, then I think I'm seeing from my clients in the south and southern region the west coast I think that they are actually adapting a bit better in this pandemic um, work from home virtual uh, workplace than my East Coast clients. Yeah, I you know it, it it really is. When I started this podcast, I was really focused on not only bringing information about employment and careers and giving people ideas about what they could do, how they could do it in connection with those topics. But I wanted to make sure that I had an eclectic array of people and interviews from all over the country. And fortunately, I've been able to do that. And, and, and it, I think it does make a difference perspective-wise. You know, whether it's South Dakota and Utah, New York, Massachusetts, Florida, Georgia, Ohio, uh, Los Angeles, and you know, I'm still working on getting people from, if not Alaska, Hawaii, Washington State, and some other places. So it, it you know, I want to try to provide an array of information that can help people decide whether they want to relocate to someplace else. And if they do, what to expect after they get there, at least give them a sense of what they can expect. They're going to have to do a deeper dive, but at least I think I can give them a start. I agree. And I think that um, one additional layer to, for um, individuals to think about when they're thinking about uh, where they could possibly, if they are interested in relocating or interested in working in other uh, regions is that because of this pandemic, there are a lot of people who were working physically in New York or in New Jersey or in Connecticut, right? In Pennsylvania. So they were working in that Northeast region, commuting, spending a great deal of time commuting, right? And so you think about those long days. And now in this pandemic, can actually live someplace other than where they used to live, right? So they can live outside of New York City. They can live outside of um, New Jersey. They can go to Vermont. They can go anywhere, right? I just throw Vermont out there as a, a place that is very different than New York or New Jersey. They can go to a place where quality of life may be better for them and still do that work that they were doing in New York, in New Jersey, in a remote way. There's some employers who, especially if, if you're in data analytics, if you're on the tech side, right, there's certain businesses that have gone 100% remote and for the foreseeable future plan on continuing that. Um, and so they're able to actually, when you think about employment opportunities, for some in some industries, your world has actually gotten bigger in terms of the places that you can live and maybe even apply. Because think about your cost of living, right? If you're not, if you're no longer having to look for a job to afford an apartment in New York, so right, you can you can stay in that same industry, but you don't need to have a certain um, salary threshold. 
So employees, when you think about the app or individuals who are interested in terms of looking for work, maybe they're in a job right now where they are, maybe they're satisfied, but maybe they're, they're people who may want to think of other opportunities, other, other tracks within the industry they're in. Think of a totally different industry that before the pandemic, depending, especially those in that Northeast region where you think about housing costs, right? And commuting costs would dictate how much salary, like what your salary would look like to be able to live, right? To be able to live comfortably in this pandemic, you actually are able to reduce, obviously your commuting costs, which could be zero. You may be even be able to reduce your housing costs if you are able to move out of the area that you're in into an area that is a lot less expensive in terms of housing. And then that may actually allow you to think about other job opportunities that you may not have been open to because the salary was too low to support your living and your commuting expenses, if that makes sense. No, it does make sense. But you know, people don't like to have their salaries go down for any reason. They like to keep going up. <laughs> and some, and I agree. I think that for some people that is, in, is an important marker of success for them. I would, and I'm going to speak from my personal experience on this one. I probably was somebody at many points in my career that I would say I was one of those individuals. And I have to say that uh, this pandemic has given me an opportunity to explore areas that I'm interested in, opportunities that I'm interested in that I know that if I would be limited to salary or only thinking about salary, I think that some of the rewards that I've gained and some of the experiences, the learning and the growth, I wouldn't have achieved. I just, I, I, I wouldn't have if I, if that was my only marker. And for some people I get it, you know, I get why. And, but that's why I think I go back to looking at why is it that we want to continue to increase our salaries and why are we using that as a marker of success? Is it because our cost of living has also increased? For many people, you have kids that kids that then start, um, whether it's private school, right? You have a life that you need to support. This is an opportunity to reflect upon that. Doesn't mean that that for people it should change. I'm just saying it's an opportunity to reflect. No, you're right. You're right. You know, but responsibilities tend to cost. You know, whether it's um, a home, a school, whether it's you know a private school for elementary school children or college, you want to save toward the future so that you can. Uh, enjoy life, so to speak. And, you know, there's always, at least from my experience, people are are hesitant to take a step back unless their circumstances require it. You know, like you you have a sick loved one and, and you need to spend more time at home or you need to have that nine to five situation uh, so that you can get home at a reasonable time and help with that sick loved one. There are all kinds of reasons people, uh, you know, take steps back, but it's not anything that in my experience, people readily do unless there's some compelling reason 
for them to do so. Now that may be that may change with this generation that's in the work that's starting in the workplace now. Well, and I actually would challenge your listeners uh, for those listeners who are not Gen Zs, right? Um, uh, who may have a more traditional approach to career growth and and the markers of that success, like what determines their their success in terms of their career growth. And I have to say, my lessons and my learning in this area have actually come from uh, generations that are younger than me, and that is opening ourselves up to um, having multiple streams of revenue when it comes to what our salaries look like, that our salaries should not necessarily be tied to one employer. Our career growth and success and learning doesn't have to be tied to one employer. And that in fact, when we think about reducing, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even call it reducing salary. I would look at opportunities that maybe you can continue earning in a certain career, a salary track um, that's comparable to what you're earning, but maybe not working full time so that you can actually then free up your time to develop streams of revenue in other areas, right? So you're, you are, you're learning and you're growing and you're advancing, but you're advancing in multiple different ways. It gives you a diversified portfolio, a diversified resume. It shows um, curiosity. It shows entrepreneurship. It shows um, high self-esteem, right, in, in, in your ability. Um, and those are all great markers of career success. And it's lessons that I think that, especially in this time, so a lot of my perspective, I have to say, has been reformed in this pandemic based on the way that I have seen um, certain individuals thrive in this in their career and their workspace in this pandemic versus um, those that I think are struggling a bit. And I would say that those that I see struggling a bit are those individuals who were very traditional in their approach to career and job, right? One one employer, you know, full-time benefits, everything tied to that one employer. And then that gets um, in this pandemic where what you're seeing is not just that the job gets pulled out from under you, your whole industry change, right? So if anybody who's been in, is in hospitality, event planning, right, uh, transportation, traveling, any of those, and that's those are industries. Think about the massive career shift, right? the massive shift of that industry in and of itself. What are these individuals going to do? And I understand they have to start thinking about that, right? And it's certainly... There will certainly be opportunities, but right now their foundation is just uh, really shaken up, right? It's not stable. As opposed to those um, individuals that I have seen, and usually on the younger generation, Beverly, um, where you have that Gen Z, where they were already, they had a YouTube channel. They already were dri- uh, d- deriving some revenue from their YouTube channel, right? They wow. are, they've had some retail jobs maybe, but they're able to parlay that retail experience, sales experience into multiple other possibilities. They really can flex at this time in this pandemic because it's just another challenge, right? So let's go through and let's see what other revenue streams and they're able to adapt and shift and find another revenue stream much easier than those of us who really were, our careers were really built upon that kind of traditional career path. Sure. No, you're right. In in my new book, GPS to Employment 
success, I advocate multiple income streams. You, you know, you don't know when your traditional job may go by the boards. The company could go out of business. There could be a reduction in force. Anything could happen and you could be out of a job the next day. I remember years ago, someone, I, uh, a friend of mine went to work and when he got to work, the doors, there was a padlock on the door. The company had gone out of business and the poor thing almost had a breakdown because, you know, he didn't see it coming. He had no idea and he had no job and no plan. So multiple income streams will save you. You know, you may have to cut back on your expenses, but at least you will have money coming in. Mm-hmm. And it gives you, and that that's, it, it is, it's a challenge I'll put out there once again to your listeners, especially those who are in industries right now where there's a big question mark, right? I think obviously there's a great deal of excitement around the idea of, um, and the possibility of a vaccine, right? Um, but the reality uh, is if we play that out from a realistic standpoint, is um, that any vaccine is not going to um, shift the the massive seismic changes that have happened in certain industries so that we flip a switch and it's going to go back to the way it was, right? And you and I both know this from uh, wearing our employment lawyer hats, that when an employer downsizes significantly, and yet continues to do work and realizes, wait a second, huh, I'm doing almost the same amount of uh, uh, production or productivity. I'm getting the same amount of production and productivity out of a workforce that's now been reduced by, let's say, 1,000, 2,000 than I did before. Why should I then bring people back if I can do more with less? Right. You know, so, you know, employers certainly start thinking about that. So even if jobs do open up um, in these in in these industries and thinking of hospitality and transportation in particular, um, it's not going to be like there's going to be this these massive doors opening and everyone's going to get their job back um, just because there's a vaccine that I challenge that this is the time to really start thinking about what are what what are you what are you what are your interests? How can you explore, you know, whether it's, it's, it's going on YouTube, whether it's, it's, it's things that before may have seen, you know, seen, oh, this is just something I did in my spare time. How can you parlay that into something now, right? That, that could actually turn into um, a possible revenue stream and begin thinking about ways that you can operate in this new world that um, for the most part, it's going to be virtual for a while for many different industries. Absolutely. They're going to save money where they can. These businesses will save a dollar where they can. Absolutely. Your point, if they find that they can do almost as much as they were doing before with fewer employees, they will do that. And while this may be an opportunity, although people are working virtually, this may be an opportunity to acquire additional skills Yes, by going online, finding areas that you're interested in and enrolling in online courses. Don't spend a lot of money. No. Now, it may even be able to do some of this through your and get reimbursed through tuition assistance 
through your employer. You know, that's that's something that you can do as long as you're an employee, you're still an employee. You can you may be able to get some reimbursement for courses. Do make the best use of this time. Yes. Because you don't know where you're going to land. You don't know what's going to happen. I, I've been very fortunate. I've been, you know, working remotely for a long time, so it's not a change for me. And the pandemic hit in March. My book deal came through in April, so I spent April, May, June, and July and August working on my book. It was a blessing. I did every day. I got up and I was in my in my home office at my computer typing away as I type. <laughs> And so I was grateful that the opportunity presented itself when it did. It was very uh, fortunate. And I think what that illustrates, Beverly, is that you, pre-pandemic, your approach was that you were going to pursue interests, pursue things that maybe when you were working full time, you didn't have the time to do. And when you did have that downtime, you used it to pursue an interest that ended up, right, parlaying itself into a, a, a revenue stream. And that is you, you wanted to write a book. You sat down and you wrote a book. If you were working 80 hours a week, you're not going to have time to write a book. But well, you found the time to do this pre-pandemic. And so I, I actually would say, yes, by the grace of God. I don't think it was luck, though, because you were already doing the work, right? You're already doing the work that, in fact, your book encourages people to do. Think outside of the box. Think about your interests. Educate yourself. Find ways, right, that you can continue to grow, whether you're in a job right now or whether you're not, right? Use, make the best use of your time because you never know when an opportunity will present itself. And so what you just demonstrated is that if you were interested in writing a book, but you didn't write the book, pandemic hits and there's a publisher out there looking for books on, on career, right? Career growth, career development. If you didn't have that book ready, that opportunity wouldn't have been available to you. No, you're right. Right. And as one of my young friends who got married uh, in October, he said, Beverly, you know, you've been working harder since you left the company than you than you were when you were working there. Yes. And I said, you know, you're absolutely right. But I'm amazed that you recognize that. But but I've been working for myself. But Michelle, we know how we work how you work, how I work. And it's what we do. So I can't, I'm not surprised that I'm working more. I, it's the way I, it's the way I work when it's something that has to be done, at least has to be done in my mind. From my perspective, writing the book was something I had to do. Writing the second book was something I was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to have somebody else pay for. Mm -hmm. And hopefully, you know, it will benefit everyone who reads it so that they will achieve this employment success that they want. Mm -hmm. However, they define it. Yes. Yes. You know, no silver, silver bullet. And I think it shows when you wrote your first book, the initiative that we have to take and the, getting out of our own way 
especially for those of us who are very traditional in our approach to jobs and career, right? If, if, if you don't have a publisher yet and you're writing a book, those of us that think traditionally, it's like, well, then how are you get? but I'm not getting paid for this. Why am I writing this book? You can't think that way any longer. That's not, it's an investment that you're making in yourself, right? This is an investment towards your future. And so when you think about when, you, when one of the examples you gave is, you know, going out there and taking courses, right? Don't spend a lot of money, but if it does cost some money, think about it as an investment. Your, you, any money you put out there, any time that you put out there where you're growing and you're learning, that's, that's the investment you're making because it is an investment long-term that's going to pay off. It won't, what won't happen, and I think, um, I, I, I don't want to discourage people from doing this because I think it's still an important way to look for work is, you know, obviously, yes, work on that resume. Yes, you have to post for jobs. Yes, you have to network, right? So that is certainly a way that I would encourage everyone to continue to look for work, but that's just one way. That's just one, while you're doing that, there's so many other things that you can be thinking about and exploring. And, you know, and I'll give you an example. Training uh, is something that obviously I, I, I grew into and it was an interest of mine even when I was practicing law. I enjoy training. I also love technology. One area that is actually um, up and coming in the training space, even before this pandemic, was virtual reality, right? So virtual reality and immersing individuals and employees in a virtual reality setting to train them. Right. So um, think about production lines, right? Training people on production, training people on McDonald's could use it in, in terms of an assembly line, right? On how to make whether it's the burger, the fries, what you have to do, you immerse the employee in this literally those virtual reality goggles that people put on is what I'm talking about. I right. love that from a it's something that was always I just it was from a technology standpoint as a consumer. I love that experience. And so when I started to hear about this virtual reality and training, I said, well, you know what? Let me go out there and let me just do some research. Let me see what's out there. Let me see who's doing the training. Is it a course that I can take? How do I familiarize myself with this? How do I get into this space and be able to market myself as a trainer, right? That can train in this in, 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 and use the content and the subject matter that I'm training on and immerse my uh, uh, participants in this virtual reality setting. It hasn't come to fruition yet because I still am trying to figure it out, but that's the investment I'm making in myself, right? Investment I'm making in trying to explore and grow and understanding where my, this industry is going and seeing where I can fit in that. Thanks for listening to Your Employment Matters with Beverly Williams. If you found this podcast helpful, please subscribe and leave a review. I truly appreciate your support and that helps other listeners find the podcast. If you have a comment, question, or suggestion, you can reach me at bawilliams at youremploymentmatters.com. My book, Get the Job Done, is available on amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com. Please join me again next week. Until then, remember to embrace change and differences.
This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM. Women's voices amplified.